Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the presenters of Dragon Bites and a trainee here in Wales. Today we have the next episode in a series of cardiology lectures by Professor Orhan Uzun, fetal cardiology consultant at the University Hospital of Wales. For the next few episodes, we're going to be focusing on transposition of the Grace arteries, and this one is going to be about the basics. So, let's get started. Okay, um, so I'm here again today with the absolutely fantastic Professor Orhan Uzun, um, fetal cardiologist at the University Hospital of Wales. Uh, hello, Professor Uzun. Hi there. Hello. How are you? Awesome. I'm very well. How are you? I am very well and I'm excited to record our second talk, which is on transposition of the great arteries. Transposition of the great arteries is perhaps a very important topic and uh, it will be quite beneficial for our listeners. Our main topic today is transposition of the great arteries or detransposition or dextrotransposition. Our topic defines great arteries like aorta and pulmonary artery being on the wrong side of the ventricles. In a normal heart, the left ventricle, morphologically left ventricle, should propel blood into the aorta, which should not bifurcate, but should branch out into the head and neck vessels from its top surface. And the morphological right ventricle should pump blood into a bifurcating pulmonary artery. That's the normality. But in transposition, this ventricular arterial relationship is switched. What it means, right ventricle, morphologic right ventricle, is now connected to the aorta. And the morphologic left ventricle propels blood into a bifurcating pulmonary artery. The rest of the cardiac structures are same. So left atrium connects to the left ventricle, but the left ventricle connects to the pulmonary artery. And the right ventricle receives blood from the right atrium, but pumps blood into the aorta. Is it clear so far? Yeah, I think I've got the a picture in my head. So basically, if we didn't have um, a ductus which connected these two systems, we'd end up with two entirely independent circuits, wouldn't we? With the right atrium, right ventricle and aorta just pumping blood around the body, and then the left ventricle, left atrium and the pulmonary arteries just pumping blood around the lungs. Exactly, exactly. Wonderful point to make. What we call normal circulation in series, but transposition of the great arteries give you parallel circulation with no communication, which is a disaster. To keep these babies alive, as you rightly alluded to, 
we need mixing of blue and pink blood via either ductus arteriosus. The ductus arteriosus is a prerequisite here, but there are other means of communication inside the heart. Can you think of one of them? Um, so uh, probably the, the foramen ovale could be um, a communication as well. Correct, correct. Can you think of another one in between the ventricles? Well, I suppose you could have a VSD as well. Exactly. So hence, these three communications, absolutely necessary, one of them, not all three, for the baby to survive. As you know, the ductus arteriosus is destined to close. It is programmed to close within the first week of life, functionally, and within three months, anatomically, completely should have disappeared. DTGA is the most common cyanotic congenital heart disease seen in the first two weeks of life. Uh, beyond two weeks of life is Tetralogy of Fowler, as we previously discussed. These patients, transposition patients, are usually very well at birth. They are well-grown babies with no problem, and some of them may even escape attention, and they may go home. Because if the duct is widely open, if the foramen ovale, ovale is widely open, there is good mixing, and the saturation may not drop dramatically in these babies in the first few days of life. Once the duct starts closing or getting restricted and PFO starts getting smaller, these babies become bluer due to less mixing. And of course, the circulation becomes compromised and babies not only look blue, but also become breathless. Then presentation becomes clear. So I would advise anyone to look at these babies carefully, especially in their nail beds, their mucosal surfaces like their mouth and, and their sclera to um, identify cyanosis in these babies and also do saturation check as absolute necessity and be very, very cautious when you interpret saturation, it may be 95%, 94%. Do not attribute it to respiratory problem or do not attribute it to a newborn baby, maybe TTN or something temporary. I would advise you uh, and everybody to consider such a diagnosis when you see a baby with even marginal sinus. No, so this... I think it's probably worth pointing out to the trainee. So this might well be, um, this could well be a newborn that presents either in the neonatal ward if they've stayed in for a few days for another reason, or this could be a presentation to the paediatric emergency department or the children's assessment unit, whatever the local equivalent is, as an acute deterioration of a baby that's gone home. So I suppose it's relevant to both um, both groups of of uh, paediatricians because it could come up in either case, couldn't it? Exactly. There is a third mode of presentation, perhaps in babies 
who are luckier than the previous two. Any idea what that could be? So presumably if they have, um, a, and I was going to ask you this if this didn't come up, but presumably if they have a large VSD, um, then e despite the um, ductus closing and the PFO getting smaller, they've still got a really good communication there. So, th so I'd assume that perhaps they might present a lot later. It's not, it's not uh, that simple, perhaps, but they would present earlier with breathlessness. So mode of presentation would switch more towards shortness of breath, feeding difficulty, not finishing bottle, uh, and getting tired easily, like signs of VSD. So it would be over-circulation, and the symptoms would be related to over-circulation. Unless patient has pulmonary stenosis, then it would be a mixed picture of cyanosis as well as breathlessness. As in VSDs, it takes about a week for the PVR pulmonary vascular resistance to normalize or drop to, to um, the levels where uh, shunting becomes easier from left to right. Beyond the first week of life, these patients start developing breathlessness and cyanosis becomes obvious, like in all VSD cases. VSD patients usually asymptomatic within the first week of life. But luckily, VHD would give you uh, some clues with regards to murmur. But murmur is not always present if the VSD is large, if the PVR is high again, pressures are equal, there isn't net volume of blood passing through. And if there is no resistance, you wouldn't hear a murmur. If baby had pulmonary stenosis, then these babies would come to attention earlier than the other babies. So if there is a lesion and if there is a murmur, then perhaps we become more alert to the possibility of transposition, to the possibility of a heart disease. But the ones with no communication, no VSD, no pulmonary stenosis, those ones sometimes go home without being noticed. So those are the difficult ones and we may run into trouble. Transposition is seen between three to six patients every 10,000 deliveries. In Wales, we have seen quite significant variations year to year uh, in terms of how many babies were delivered. From three a year up to an, a, a maximum eight a year. So average in Wales, South Wales, we got 25,000 deliveries every year. And it accounts one-fifth of all congenital heart disease presenting with cyanosis. So we have about 300 babies born in Wales every year, 150 of them uh, significant, of which um, we will have 3%, uh, so it makes four to eight babies with congenital heart disease accounting for transposition in Wales. The other significant causes are, uh, except apart from transposition, are tetralogy of fallow and hypoplastic left heart syndrome. We must remember hypoplastic left heart syndrome is also quite common. And yeah. then um, 
other chords, common mixing, uh, either either um, truncus, mitral atresia, tricuspid atresia, single ventricle type pathologies. These these babies, when they come to hospital, when we try to identify the clinical signs and when we examine them, and we will see very, very little things, little signs on these babies. If they don't have any additional problem, such as pulmonary stenosis or VSD, then only finding might be increased right ventricular impulse and loud second heart sound. So anterior and the left-sided second intercostal space, when you listen to that section, which is normally pulmonary area, second heart sound would be loud. The reason for that, great vessels are swapped, switched around. In normal heart, pulmonary artery is anterior and aorta is posterior. And we hear aortic closure sound on the second intercostal, right second intercostal space. But the pulmonary valve closure sound, we, we hear uh, within the second left intercostal space. But in transposition of the great arteries, aorta is anterior compared to pulmonary artery. So due to anteriorly placed aorta, second heart sound would be loud in the left second intercostal space. The reason you guys don't see transposition babies very often, we are victims of our own success. In Wales, last two years, we've been picking up 100% of transposition and we are delivering them at our surgical center in Bristol. Hence, you don't get exposed to transposition babies born in the middle of the night with blueness. But in the past, our pickup rate was very, very small, 20%. It rose gradually to 30, 40, 50, 75. But last two years, we have diagnosed all of them antenatally. Unless you work in a surgical center, then your chances of seeing a transposition will be very slim. The other sign may be when you feel the pulses, but it is, it, it is of course, subject to training your, your thumbs or your fingers sensitivity. It's very important. When you feel the pulses, yes, use your second and third fingers, but the thumb is also quite sensitive. Remember, one of the most sensitive fingers, thumb. And pulses are full in these babies. And the ones with VST will have even fuller one. So babies with transposition, because left ventricle pumps blood into the lungs fiercely, and they get breathless. And if the duct is over shunting, they will become breathless and the pulses will be full in these babies. So that could be another sign for you. So increased right, right ventricular impulse, full pulses, and loud second heart sound within the second left intercostal space. Those are the three findings for you to have a look. Of course, cyanosis is, is the main thing for you to um, search in mucosal membranes. These babies are, as I said, well-developed. Uh, unless they were born 
prematurely for other reasons. They look perfectly well, in fact, overweight, over 3.5 kilogram, well-developed babies. What is also striking, we have not had any baby with transposition and chromosome abnormality. Hence, we don't um, put too much emphasis when we see these babies antenatally on the need for amniocentesis and chromosome testing. I mean, despite this becoming clear to us, we don't know the reasons uh, because transposition of the great arteries occur around six, five to six weeks of gestation um, when the main trunk divides into two equally to form pulmonary artery and aorta. It must also do spiraling movement, not just division, but also spiraling movement. And spiraling movements make the great vessels from side by side or parallel appearance moves to crossing positions. But that does not happen in transposition. They remain parallel. They don't undergo that spiraling process. That spiraling process is interrupted. The transposition of the great arteries has association with other cardiac lesions in half of the babies. So what I would like you to remember as listener, half of these transpositions are simple. What does simple mean? They do not have any other associated intracardiac lesion. But other half will have associated pathologies. So what could that be, um, Asim? Any, any idea? Well, we've already discussed VSDs, I suppose. That's right. VSD is seen in about 40%, almost half of these babies. So the ones have the VSD, they might also have an additional pathology. Second common one is pulmonary stenosis. It's commonly seen in these babies in association with VSD usually. It's in a, an isolated form, can happen, but usually seen with VSD in 20 to 30% of babies. Quite significant, one-fifth will have additional pulmonary stenosis. Mitral or tricuspid valve pathologies can occur also in one-fifth, and coronary artery pathologies can occur again in one-fifth of patients. And one thing it's very, very important is coarctation or interrupted aortic arch. Although pulses are full in majority of these babies, if you do not feel pulses, if they are weak, you must have the same suspicion as you would have in a baby with no cyanosis. First thing you would think of is there coarctation or interrupted aortic arch here. You must have that suspicion in your mind in a baby presenting with cyanosis too. So 5% of babies with transposition may have coarctation or interrupted aortic arch. And if you ignore this, then the outcome will be catastrophic. I mean, that's an incredible number of associated abnormalities there, aren't there? I mean, if you're getting half of the, if half of the babies have already got um, a TGA, have also got additional abnormalities, that's a huge proportion. Yes, yes, absolutely. So quite, quite important uh, point uh, you're making. Uh, that simple transposition is 
seen in only half of the cases, other half will have additional problem. And some of them may actually prevent us from doing good arterial switch operation, good correction in these babies, and they may need to have multiple operations. And some of them may cause comorbidities and may affect long-term outlook. So in the physical examination, as we recap, symptoms will be seen in the first 30 days of life. Majority would present beyond the first week of life when the duct starts getting smaller or closing, but also not insignificant number of patients would be recognized after birth if you pay attention to subtle signs and which would include cyanosis that is dependent on the mixing between the two parallel circuits. A mixing sites we describe as ductal or atrial or ventricular level, so three levels. And what is important in these babies, when you give oxygen, cyanosis is not affected by giving 100% oxygen. So our babies would remain desaturated when you do hyperoxygenation test. Second uh, physical finding or sign would be tachypnea. As I mentioned, these patients usually have high respiratory rate, around perhaps 70, 80, without re retractions and grunting or flaring, and they appear comfortable. Those babies, as a result of excessive pulmonary circulation, they would have also cyanosis, they would have higher respiratory rate to provide more oxygen to the lungs. But they would look comfortable unless they have a large VST or pulmonary stenosis, or unless the duct become restricted, then they would become breathless too. So babies not having grunting or flaring should not fool you. And the murmurs would be present only if you're lucky. And that would be VST or pulmonary stenosis murmur, or coarctation murmur, or in very rare cases, I have seen only a handful of babies with aortic stenosis as well. If the murmur resulting from VSD, then it would be pansystolic. If it is pulmonary stenosis, it would be ejection systolic at the left upper sternum border. And please remember for the loud second heart sound at the upper left sternal border. So just to clarify there, so if you have pulmonary stenosis, but the pulmonary artery is on the right side, would you not then hear the pulmonary stenosis on the right side of the, on the right upper sternal edge, or have I, or is that just, or is it still on the left upper sternal edge because of um, anatomical considerations? You, it, it is absolutely brilliant. You're following me. I thought you were not. Yeah, I was completely paying attention. Listening to me. That's brilliant. What I mentioned about ventricular arterial relationship, but also I mentioned relationships of great arteries. So relations of the arteries to the ventricle different than relationships of the great vessels. So that will be quite technical term too, because most cases, 70% of the cases, aorta is anterior and also to the right. But because anterior position, it would be quite widely distributed. And the pulmonary artery would be coming from the posterior ventricle and pulmonary artery position may be either side by side or posterior. So pulmonary sound would be obscured 
So you would have difficulty, great difficulty in hearing pulmonary artery, even on the right side. But pulmonary, if there is a pulmonary stenosis, then murmur would be uh, audible on the left as well as right precordium. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to differentiate it from aortic stenosis. It would radiate into the lung fields, then it would wake you up. But if it is aortic stenosis, it would radiate into the neck. That's how you would be able to differentiate it. Also, pay attention to the pulses, of course. If the pulses is not felt easily, then most likely to be aortic stenosis. In terms of evaluation, there are four major categories, remember. The first one is right-sided obstructions with right-to-left shunt, which include tetralogy of fallow, pulmonary atresia, so on. And the second category is transposition of the great arteries. And the third category was common mixing, like truncus, tricuspid atresia, mitral atresia, single ventricle. And the fourth is total anomalous pulmonary venous drainage. Now we're going to eliminate them one by one doing ECG, chest x-ray, and echocardiogram. On ECG, often normal, um, but may show right axis deviation and right ventricular hypertrophy, but we see it in normal newborns anyway. So you may, if you pay too much attention to the left-sided QRS complexes in V5 and V6, and if they are smaller than usual, then it is relevant. So right axis deviation and right ventricular hypertrophy without small R waves in V5 and V6 doesn't mean anything. But if there is also small R waves in V5 and V6, then you may think of transposition or hypoplastic left heart. So electrocardiogram may not be that helpful. If there is additional pathologies, then you may see more exaggerated right ventricular hypertrophy, and you may see, again, very little forces in V5, V6. But most helpful one will be the chest X-ray rather than ECG. Do you remember any classical sign for TGA on a chest X-ray, Awesome. Yeah, so this is the famed um, egg on a string appearance Absolutely. on the x-ray. Brilliant, brilliant. Yes, egg on a string. Do you know the reason for it? We must always have scientific curiosity and we must not register any new information without the basis, without the foundation that why. So we should be like a one-year-old, two-year-old when we start talking. The most common question is why. So I don't. Th so I didn't know the reason for this, but having spoken to you, I think I've. I think I now might understand just from your description of what's actually happening anatomically. So if you've got an anterior aorta and then a posterior um, pulmonary artery sort of overlying each other from a, you know, um, a sort of, from the correct plane on the X-ray, then you might well have a very thin look, narrow looking. Um, vessel vascular structure if that makes sense so would, would that be why it looks like an egg on a string absolutely you are uh, a star you are uh, now uh, next to the um, through to the next stage remember in transposition great vessels are 
not only anterior posterior but also maybe side by side too so there may be two orientation so side by side is seen in about um, two percent of transpositions but anterior posterior position seen in 71 percent of transposition so either uh, in either scenario the arterial pedicle that's what we call it the base of the heart where the great vessels create wide mediastinum we call it arterial pedicle so arterial pedicle is very narrow in transposition and the heart looks like egg on a string and that is the reason as you beautifully described the other sign maybe on the chest x-ray is pulmonary plethora and due to excessive flow if the duct is widely open and there are abundant shunts through foramen ovale or vsd uh, lung fields would be uh, quite significantly congested and that's probably it and next thing would be to put all these findings together uh, and um, if there is no murmur and baby is not responding to oxygen uh, ECG shows right axis deviation right ventricle hypertrophy baby is tachypneic baby is cyanosed then we would lean towards transposition of the great vessels uh, on the basis of chest x-ray and uh, chest x-ray would be differentiating from tetralogy of fallow which would show you another synonym what we call it uh, the boot-shaped heart yeah exactly boot-shaped heart but uh, transposition would be completely different from it and it would allow you to differentiate the two so pay attention to the chest x-ray to differentiate these two then you would call cardiologist and cardiologist would echocardiogram and echocardiogram would show us what we described parallel great vessels with malposition transposition and left ventricle and its normal communication which is expected to be aorta would not appear but instead you would see left ventricle leading to a bifurcating vessel that bifurcating vessel would be posteriorly positioned and the anterior ventricle which is right ventricle would be leading to a great vessels which does not bifurcate comes anteriorly goes up to the neck and gives head and neck vessels from its upper surface superior surface and that would be the diagnostic feature and the first thing cardiologist needs to identify is the duct open is the ductal shunt good enough is the foramen ovale widely open is it allowing free flow mixing and is the ventricular septum intact are there any additional sites of shunt to make sure that baby is safe get a uh, get a team of people to prepare baby for their treatment and management. And thank you to Professor Orhan Uzun for that episode. Join us again next week for the next episode about transposition of the great arteries, where we'll be focusing on the different interventions that are used to manage it.
Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.